welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Today, we're going to continue our passage about prayer and cooperation with God's plan, uh, the primary purpose of prayer. Prayer, here's a definition for you. Prayer is a practical exercise of spiritual recalibration to align ourselves to the sovereign purposes of God as he has revealed them to us in his word. Let me read that again. Prayer is a practical exercise of spiritual recalibration to align ourselves to the sovereign purposes of God as he has revealed them to us in his word. Or stated in another way, because God has said it, it is clearly his will. We will therefore during prayer restate it and align ourselves to it because God has proven he has the sovereign power to achieve it, both within us and through us. So the, the ministry of prayer, it, it, it's, it's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. Uh, that last phrase that I read to you, God has the power to achieve it, both within us and through us as creator of the universe, that's the scary part to us. Scary to us. It's one of the reasons that we often don't pray as we should. We become afraid that if we repeat it, and if we restate it, God's actually going to do it. And to become effective for the kingdom... We need to overcome that fear today, as did the early church. I've titled today's message, The Effective Prayer of a Righteous Man. It could also be titled, The Effective Prayer of a Righteous Woman. As I read our text, beginning in Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, the term bondservants is literally slaves. It's partially for cultural appeasement that the text is is usually translated in modern translations as uh, servant or bond servant. But the Greek doulos is by definition a person with no rights of their own, who is totally subject to another because that somebody else legally owns them. That's the definition of the term. Legally owns them as property. So I'm going to read it uh, as the Holy Spirit originally prompted Luke to write it uh, by inserting the more accurate term, slaves. The church has been strictly warned to remain quiet about this Jesus, but God has displayed himself to be, verses 23 through 28, both a powerful creator and a sovereign redeemer. And therefore, the church prays in verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats 
and grant that your slaves may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So in, face, in the face of the threats by the Sanhedrin, this is designed to prevent them from speaking, the apostles led the early church to pray these words, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your slaves may speak your word with all confidence. That, that's, that's the petition. Uh, that's their request section after praying to God as creator and redeeming. Short request, isn't it? And, and the word confidence in my translation, verse 29, uh, is actually the identical Greek word as boldness that you see in verse 31. They pray to God that they will speak with boldness. Do you know why? They prayed to speak with boldness. Ever think why? Well, it's because Christ's parting words at his ascension told his apostles that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Well, it's pretty hard to be a witness without speaking. Even if you've been told to remain quiet, And Jesus' final exhortation in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 included, the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to speak, taking the gospel even to the remotest parts of the earth, even to remote tribes in western Brazil. You'll have power to go out and be witnesses. So it is God's will clearly a clearly stated will uh, that Christians speak boldly as his witnesses. Uh, you know, in, in the Olivet Discourse or during the Olivet Discourse, Jesus and his apostles, uh, the last holy week while he was on earth, uh, he told them, even in the midst of persecution. Some of you are going to be put to death, Jesus said, for this message. So they knew it was going to be going to be a challenge. And so all that these slaves did during their petition is restate the Lord's command in similar words and then pleaded he would fulfill his divine will through them. That's it. It isn't rocket science. We actually have a rocket scientist here, Matt. Well, a rocket engineer works on SpaceX, uh, Matt Bennett. Uh, this isn't rocket science, is it? No. God's word revealed how he plans to do something. This is how I'm going to do it, says God. And his slaves reply in agreement. Well, then God, let's do it. And use me to do it. Grant that we, your slaves, may speak with boldness. And when it comes to witnessing... uh, Is there any question to God's will in the matter? No. 
No. The, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness, same Greek word, the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And boldness is not a privilege of just apostles. Uh, Paul includes all believers in the church in Corinth at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, after reminding them that we are all ministers of a new covenant, all of us together, all redeemed in Christ. And in verse 12 he says, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And then while writing the church in Thessalonica, Paul includes also uh, Timothy and Silvanus, 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, saying, uh, after we already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, uh, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amongst much opposition. This includes all Christians uh, of every stripe. Um, because it's God's stated will. It's His revealed will. And uh, we have to ask, uh, since it's so clearly God's stated will, when you are praying to God for boldness to preach Christ, are you praying with sincerity of heart? Or, or, or is the prayer double-minded? You know, uttering words void of meaning in the name of the Most High. Are we even willing to pray with boldness or for a bold witness? My old pastor, would he's a pretty tough guy, he would have said something. I won't repeat what he would say. But he would say something like, well, you won't even put a bumper sticker on your car. And as we were in prayer at our house this week, the people in my prayer group said, you know, I think you should say, I think you should remind people at the end of the sermon to come up and get those bumper stickers. Do you tell them these are magnetic now, some of them? They're not for your refrigerator. Right? <laughs> and they told me, you know, Pastor John, you need to remind people to come up afterwards and get their bumper sticker. I said, I don't know, I kind of beat that to death already a little bit, didn't I? They're like, no, no, you, you, people just kind of forget during the sermon. And they said, you need to have it where they will come up and uh, get their bumper sticker afterwards. Um, oh, wait, you were kind of busy this morning too, weren't you? I'll put these up here, maybe. And gospel tracks, keep them front and center just in case anybody forgets that this is our job. And uh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, I got them up there in place. <laughs> you can sit there through the Lord's Supper as we do that. Prepare yourselves for the Lord's Supper. And, uh, um, you know, some might say, and I understand this. I, I get people have different ways of sharing. These are not the only ways I, I get that. Um, some might even say, yeah, it's just kind of silly. That's kind of silly. And we used to have an associate pastor here, Gerald Weiler. Some of you. Remember him. Do you know what Gerald would say about all this? If you say, that's yeah, kind of silly. 
Gerald say, well, I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you ain't doing it. <laughs> so there's the, there's the final push on the bumper stickers from, from me, anyhow. I, I can't say for what Josh will do during announcements. That's, that's balls in his court now. Would it not be a sin? Would it not be a sin to, to fail to petition God to do something greater through us to glorify his son? The effect, the effective prayer of a righteous man, well, it avails much because he or she searches the word of God to inquire about what God promises he will do. And then that person invites God with a sincere heart, do it through me. And praying the will of God, it becomes effective concerning every clear command in the Bible. Very effective for every clear command. Uh, But only when applied correctly within the stated intentions or boundaries of the new covenant. Just a little caveat here. Uh, In other words, don't get caught up praying for an ark or to build an ark. That was a command for Noah, okay? Not you. The church isn't still taking possession of the land in Israel like Joshua did. Those conquests were historical. They were God's command under the old covenant. You follow me? So be careful. Be careful. Um, There are some odd people who are caught up claiming some strange things due to incorrectly taking God's promises to Israel as a nation. Israel Israel as a nation promises to them and then applying them to individual believers under the new covenant. Be, Be careful with that. Nonetheless, when the Old Testament is restated in the New Testament, or especially when the New Testament repeats itself with a clear and common promise, well, like people of all nations will become children of Abraham through faith, well, these can and should be claimed by prayer or through prayer in us. It's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. Um, I could give a ton of examples. I really could. Um, we don't have time for them all. However, each Wednesday, when the midweek newsletter goes out by email, I try to do one email midweek. You, everyone's welcome to receive it. You don't have to be a member. Uh, I give a summary statement of that previous Sunday, highlighting what the will of God was in our text. Every single week. Uh, the will of God for us is not cloaked in mystery, folks. I just wish I knew what the will of God is. No, it's, it's very concrete. It's very plain and straightforward. Let me read my summary stated from last week's message. Uh, it is God's will to be glorified as creator of all things and worshipped as redeemer of fallen humanity. It's a summary of last week. That is his will. Uh, how do we then pray according to God's will? No, we just saw it in verses. It's very easy. This week they're praying in verses 24 through 28. We pray to God by routinely approaching him as, as our creator and our redeemer. 
we pray this, and when we pray this, we know that in our prayer, it is in harmony with God's will. It's lined up, it's aligned with God's will. Similarly, this coming Wednesday, my summary will become, it is God's will that as his slaves, we urge God to fill us with his spirit to speak his word with all boldness. It's God's will. It's easy to pray. Uh, that is his will. And when sincerely offered to him, that is a prayer that God will affirm because scripture reveals unequivocally that is his providential will. It's one of the reasons we don't often pray it with sincerity. We may say it, but we're like, not really. I don't really want to be bold. Our, our sinful flesh resists being bold. It wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and, and we just it's just easier to yield to the flesh, isn't it? Yeah. Seems to be somehow. And we would prefer to focus our prayers on indefinite topics, indefinite things, you know, things that we don't necessarily know what God's will is in the matter. Um, you know, such prayers are permitted as long as they are not contrary to Scripture. They're not speaking against Scripture. And we can make all of our requests known to God. That is, that is a promise of Scripture. But don't be surprised if indefinite requests receive an indefinite answer. Right? Yeah. There's some goofy prayers out there. And some people, it's praying like, oh, you know, if you'll let me win the lottery, I don't care, it doesn't have to be a big lottery. If you just let me win the lottery, I, I, I promise to give the first $500 of whatever I win to the youth spaghetti fundraiser. <laughs> I'll do that. That would be the first thing that I do if you let me win the lottery. I don't know how God thinks to answer about that or how he answers. I know what, kind of about what he thinks to answer. Uh, but I don't know how he would answer if, if he would. But I imagine it might be something like this. See, I know your bank account balance. You've got 500 bucks. Why don't you just write out the check? I already gave it to you. Such prayers, they just, they just aren't going to pan out uh, to, according to God's will. Also, uh, lots of prayers. Uh, we, don't, we don't know exactly God's will. Uh, Daniel Allison, uh, poor fellow's here. Glad to see you here, young man. Good to see you're up. He's out being tough and playing football. And, and uh, man, really, really shot up your foot, right? Ankle and foot, severe fracture, had to have a pretty serious surgery. And the surgeon says it's going to be 12 weeks. Oh, you'll be ready for summer camp. All right. Um, I will pray for Daniel to remain strong. I will pray that uh, infection doesn't set into him. Uh, but God's will in the matter for me? God's will in the matter is for me to be an encouragement to Daniel during a season of pain and loss. 
That's God's will, that I would be an encouragement. It's God's will. When somebody's in the hospital, God would have us pray. Lord, move me by your word and by your spirit to prioritize my schedule to visit my sick brother or sister in Christ. That's God's will. Because we all know from Scripture. How do we know it? Well, it's because Jesus said, when I was sick, you visited me. And as often as you did it to even the least of one of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. It's God's will. It's not not merely that we sit here and pray, Lord, keep him from infection and you know, make make the person better and everything. it's like be an encouragement. Hard on the flesh, isn't it? It's not where we gravitate to in helping others, uh, but it is the Lord's will. If you pray that with sincerity, I get the idea you're going to be visiting the hospital soon. Here's another prayer according to God's will. Lord, make me a servant of your church. Cause me to find ways to to wash the saints' feet, uh, just as my Lord commanded at the Last Supper. In John 13 and verse 14, Jesus said, If I then as your teacher, just a little caveat there, uh, because there was a question asked last week that that came out, is is that word teacher? It, It is teacher. It means teacher. Not, not master. Master is a different word. Uh, so Jesus is saying as teacher, teaching them. Um, if I then as your teacher washed your feet, oh, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did for you. But often we don't pray to become a servant according to God's will and God's word uh, because we think, you know, servant? I don't want to spend my Saturday as a servant. I got, you know, I don't want to clean or mow or cook for someone who's shut in during the week or, or paint or vacuum or whatever else there is because culture has groomed us, has shaped us to prioritize, prioritize time for relaxation. You know, isn't there something on TV, ball game or something? Anything. Is there anything on TV? I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. Um, we have a deacon, and uh, he's commonly found washing the saints' feet on Saturday mornings um, and, and other times as well. And sometimes he'll bring out his, his two children uh, along with him, younger children, and, and he'll, he'll ha- help them through a few tasks and it's all because uh, that deacon and his wife want to show their children that serving Christ church is sometimes just as important as cartoons. Even more important, at least sometimes. When searching how to pray, we have to ask ourselves, what is God's will? What is his will? What, what would Jesus do? Right? Maybe he'd get out a basin, washcloth, towel, wash his brothers and sisters' feet. Boy, when God's will is prayed by us, 
in sincerity. Boy, watch out. Get, get ready for what the Lord is going to do through you. It needs to be prayed with sincerity and according to God's will. Prayer puts the power of God in you and in me. It's very, very important. How about one more example before we share the Lord's Supper? One more example. Do you want to inject more power into your prayer? You're sitting there saying, boy, I don't know. Well, if you do, you need to pray like the righteous man, Elijah. Elijah. Yeah, he performed miracles, right? Mystical prophet, power and signs. Boy, he had so much faith, we're told, that he could stop the rain. He could make it rain whenever it needed to, or he needed it to. It's like a spigot. Elijah had so much faith he could turn it on and off, right? Wrong. Wrong. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And uh, our scripture reading from James chapter 5, re- chapter 5 revealed that he prayed the effective prayer of a righteous man. And it rained. So isn't Elijah the rainmaker? No. no. Oh, due to time... I need to make a a very condensed exposition here, uh, but I'll gladly show anyone who can't find the book of 1 Kings. Uh, Elijah did not stop the rain, and he did not make it rain. Uh, Instead, he prayed that it would not rain, and then later he prayed that it would rain. But we need to ask, why did he pray this way? That's the question. And it's because back in 1 Kings chapter 17 And 18, God informed Elijah that God was preparing to send a drought. How did Elijah respond? Elijah simply prayed in harmony with with God's will. He prayed that it would not rain. In fact, you'll find, this is in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 5, that everything Elijah did in that narrative... He says, Elijah says, that he did precisely according to what the Word of God had told him. And after a prolonged drought, 1 Kings chapter 18, the Lord told Elijah, quote, Go show yourself to Ahab, for now I am going to send the rain. So what does Elijah do? He obeys, goes to Ahab, And then he prays that God would send rain. Boy, guess what happens next? The roar of a shower. It rained. And Elijah prays to the Lord Yahweh, God of Israel, in 1 Kings 18, verse 36. He says, I am your servant and have done all these things at your word. All Elijah did was pray in harmony with what the Lord God had revealed to Elijah through his word. God said, I'm going to send the rain. Elijah said, I'm going to pray that it's going to rain. Send the rain, Lord. And the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much because such a person aligns himself or herself to God's purposes as revealed in the Lord's word. That's it. 
Elijah is described as a righteous man, and his prayer becomes effective because he fashioned it, he fashioned his prayer to coincide with God's will. Effective prayer is just that simple. Boy, thank you, Elijah, for leaving behind that example. It's one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. He never claimed that he made it rain. He never claimed that he controlled the weather with his prayers. And neither do Christians today. Boy, you see some stuff on TV. People claiming they're going to make it rain. Control the weather in a storm. Yeah, I'm praying just like Elijah. I'm gonna make... No, you're not. No, you're not. Boy, we have to be discerning. Have to be discerning today. The pattern for effective prayer is praying what you know from Scripture to be God's will, and then just apply it to yourself. That's exactly what the early church did in Acts chapter 4. They prayed with sincerity in verse 29 that God would grant that his slaves would speak with boldness. That was their request. And in verse 31, when they had finished praying, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. God fulfills his plan through people who submit themselves to his will as slaves. His will, not their will, slaves. Earlier, I offered you this statement. Prayer is a practical exercise of spiritual recalibration to align ourselves to the sovereign purposes of God as he has revealed them to us through his word. They prayed, make us bold. God made them bold. Filled with the Spirit, they boldly proclaimed God's word. Um, that, that is about as precise as a definition as you're going to find in the New Testament for being filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit uh, and what it means. In Acts 4 and verse 8, just a couple paragraphs ago, back when Peter, remember he stood before the Sanhedrin? It says Peter was filled with the Spirit. What transpired? Peter began to speak the word of God with boldness before the Sanhedrin. Clarity and boldness. That's filled with the Spirit. Um, oh, you've been taught that filled with the Spirit means that you know, someone goes around and they pop you on the forehead and then you fall back uncontrolled on your back, slain in the Spirit? Uh, no. No, that's not filled with the Spirit. Folks, that, that's unbiblical. That, that's false religion. Never happens in the Bible. We've been told filled with the Spirit means you know uttering unintelligible gibberish and then claiming it's the miraculous gift of tongues. That's not filled with the Spirit. It's not. You'll never find such behavior in the, in the Scriptures, the Word of God, anywhere in the Bible. Folks, it, it, as Christians, it is extremely important for us to know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. This can't be some vague, uh, ambiguous idea. We must know uh, what it means and what it does not mean. Um, being filled with the Spirit also doesn't suggest, you know, just we'll turn the lights down low, we'll turn the speakers up high, and, you know, and all of this, we'll get the smoke machine stoked and, Everybody will kind of get get in a groove and kind of close their eyes and sway and 
you know, do this and that, like kind of transcendental meditation or something, kind of empty the minds and just kind of feel things. You will never find that description of being filled with the Spirit in the Bible. Whether you want your lights on or your lights off, I'm not going to say anything about that. But we need to know what being filled with the Spirit is. Led by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, Jesus rebuked Satan in the wilderness. A man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's being led by the Spirit. That's walking in the Spirit according to Christ. And walking with the Spirit, you'll find in Scripture, it's synonymous with being filled with the Spirit. Means that everything that you do is influenced by the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. It's a contrast in Scripture to being drunk with wine. Don't do that, Scripture says. Don't be drunk with wine. Why? Well, it's because wine negatively influences all your faculties and everything you do. You know what I'm talking about. Just a little bit can influence everything you do from inside of you. Uh, Be contrasted to drunk with wine. Be in your right mind. Allow the Spirit who lives inside of you to influence all of your faculties and everything that you do. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean like a gas tank. doesn't mean, oh, you got a little, oh, fill her up. Give me a little more. No, that's not what it means. It's an influence. The Spirit is an influence just as a little bit of wine can be an influence. We aren't talking about people with wine where they're filled, you know, 75% full, 80% full. No, we're talking about influence. The Spirit, we're told in Scripture, is like a wind It fills our sails. It carries us along. In fact, spirit means wind. It can carry us along. Uh, True Christians are sealed by the spirit. They are baptized by him, uh, by the spirit into one body. All true believers share of the same spirit, but not all allow themselves to be influenced by the spirit. You know, worship can be a spiritual exercise as well. Music and worship, uh, when the mind is engaged in the doctrine of the lyrics, when you're singing the words and engaging it rationally, you're, you're in the spirit. Oh, it's greatness of Christ. The wondrous cross. The wonderful things that God has done. That is being filled with the spirit. Uh, spiritual worship is never disengaging your mind and forgetting about everything that's going on around you. you know, that's, that's Eastern mysticism. We've got great worship here. There are a couple other brief things I'd like to note about verses 29 and 31. Um, we've already discussed at length the healings, the signs, and the wonders in verse 30. Uh, Paul describes them as signs of a true apostle. The apostles expected, at least as they prayed, these visible signs and supernatural signs and wonders would continue for some time into the apostolic age. Um, I would welcome anyone who wants to further discuss the distinctions between God's providence. That is how God orchestrates the relationships and the movement of man, um, the activities of man, even the cross, God's providence 
You may have experienced uh, what some would describe as an invisible unction by God. At the last second, you turned left for Dunkin' Donuts. You don't even like Dunkin' Donuts. But you said, I got to get some donuts. You go left and to the right, a bridge collapses, right? And you're like, oh, scenario. Firefighters, others have it all the time. God was there and and orchestrated what I did. That's an invisible unction. Uh, some call it a God thing, all right? We, we understand that. There are a lot of invisible things throughout our lives that God displays, uh, where he displays his providence. I, I'd more, more than welcome a dialogue about how God, God things differ from visible and supernatural signs and wonders of a true apostle. Also, as the building in which the disciples gathered had shook. I can't, I just, can't just run past that or somebody will leave and say, he never even talked about the building that was shake. Yeah, bitch, he doesn't even believe the building shook. So I got to address it. Um, what this tells us is that God gives hearty approval of the content of their prayers. Building shaking is not something revealed in Scripture as common after prayers, even, even in the New Testament. In fact, the only other place we will see that word used in this way in the New Testament is when Paul and Silas were singing hymns in the prison, uh, imprisoned in Philippi, and the prison shook. It's the only other time we see it. Uh, singing hymns. Ken is going to give it his best shot during the Lord's Supper. You're going to make the place shake, uh, but we are in no way conditioned by Scripture to judge Ken if the building does not shake, okay? <laughs> he'll, he'll give it a whirl. He'll give it a whirl. No, it's, it's not something that we're looking for uh, all the time. I, um, we don't need a shake of affirmation today. We've got all of God's Word, the entire Bible, all of His will with us. Uh, the Word of God is complete. It lacks nothing. Uh, we know whether or not our prayers are acceptable to God when offered sincerely and in harmony with His Word. Again, I don't want to be understood, misunderstood. Christians can offer prayers in which they're unsure about. Um, for those requests about which we remain unsure, um, we can always attach the phrase, if the Lord so wills. Time will eventually reveal God's will, but Christians are never, never allowed to pray uh, in contrast or against God's will. Right? Oh Lord, please help me not to get caught. I'm falsifying my taxes. Yeah. No, no, you get no. That's not God's will. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. One last observation. Hopefully, hopefully, this will be one last encouragement. Notice how short this prayer is. It's very similar in length to our Lord's prayer that Jesus Himself taught. You know, we don't have to be eloquent. You do not have to be eloquent to pray. You don't have to persist, persist for hours to offer an effective prayer. God's Word actually prohibits that. Jesus taught in His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, when you're praying, don't pray as the Gentiles do. For they suppose they're going to be heard for their many words and uh, with their empty and meaningless repetition. You know, 
God's an intelligent father. He, he hears what we say. He sees our heart. Uh, he doesn't want his children to just request, uh, make their requests over and over again, vainly moaning, lamenting, pleading, uh, groaning like a broken record. You know, the prayer, uh, the prayer that is, it endlessly lingers, you know, it appears to become annoying to him and us. So Jesus says, don't be like that. And effective prayers of a righteous man or woman, they're just as effective when kept short. They got to be offered with a spirit of compliance and sincerity to the Lord. Uh, simply glorify him whom, and who we know God to be, our Father who art in heaven. Thank him for ex- executing his plan of redemption to save us from our sins through Christ and state what you know about him to be his revealed will. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then ask God to achieve this in us and through us and for his kingdom, for your kingdom come and your will be done. And cast your cares upon the Lord. Make all of your requests known.